Continuing our series, Ross kicked us off last week on courageous community. And what we're saying is that uh, God's heart for you is that you're a part of a local group of believers, that you're in a community where you know people and you're known. Uh, that is God's design. God designed us to be part of community. In other words, part of God's destiny for you can only be unlocked by tapping into a community and getting involved in a community. Do you understand that? That part of God's destiny, part of God's plan for your life can only be reached if you're a part of a community. And we, what we said is that the, the type of community is important. We don't just want to be a community, we want to be a courageous community. We want to be full of courage because it actually takes real courage to build the kind of community God wants. Uh, because we've all, uh, we should have all had experiences of really good community and really bad community. And good community is awesome, but bad community is... Lots of adjectives come to mind. But you don't want to do it, basically. And so we, that what we're aiming at is a community that is um, full of God's life, full of God's presence, and uh, unlocks the destinies that live inside people. Um, there's this magnificent picture of community that we get from the book of Acts, chapter 2. So this is a brand new church that's just been born, um, and God gave birth to the church in the city of Jerusalem. And uh, this is a description of this community from Acts 2, from verse 42. And they, that's these believers, new believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were communists. Joking. Um, <laughs> communists uh, are, have all things in common because the government forcibly takes away your things and distributes it to everyone. These people had all things in common because they, of their own choice, chose to share what they had with everyone. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what do you need to know about this, this picture of this community is it's completely compelling. It's like, it's an amazing thing. In other words, this wasn't a church community strategy. It's not like they joined a church and they said, well, in our community, this is how, uh, in our church, this is how we do community. You've got to come together. You've got to sell some of your stuff. You've got to share uh, your money with everyone. Uh, we're going to eat food together and we're going to break bread, which is communion, take communion together, and we're going to uh, be a part of fellowship and the apostles' teaching. No one told people what to do. This is what emerged naturally out of their heart. In other words, this isn't something that they signed up for. It's like, I, I came to this church and they told me this is what I've got to do. So it's like, oh, are you going to be a part of our community? Oh, I suppose I have to. It's like, no, I get to be part of this community. I want to do it. Like, how else would my life look? This is what God's doing here. We're, we're together. And, and you've got to understand, this wasn't just like a, a few hundred people or 30 people. On the first day where Peter preached, 2,000 people got saved. So it's not like they knew everyone's names. It's not like everyone was on a first-name basis, they had secret handshakes, none of that stuff. They were just believers, they identified with Jesus, and they got together, and they started building this community, this community life, and it wasn't, you can't fake this stuff. You can't get people to willingly sell their possessions and come donated to the church so that the poor can be fed without something radically shifting in people's hearts. They signed up for this. This is a vision of community that, that some of us scarcely have. The sense of togetherness and joining in a communal life. That I get to be a part of something. And what I really want to focus here is really the last line there. It says, the Lord added to their number daily 
added to their number daily, or in each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Because that's an amazing description of getting saved. When people ask me, like, when I was a brand new believer, I used to say, like, I got saved. I gave my life to Jesus. I became a Christian. I became born again. But from God's perspective, he added you to this body. What an interesting way to describe your transition from darkness into life, from sin into righteousness. From God's perspective, he added you to something. And you're like, whoa, 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 I don't know if I signed up for that. You did, by default. Because <laughs> the word for fellowship there is the Greek word koinonia, where, I mean ecclesia, sorry, which means the called out ones, the ones that have been called out of the world into God's kingdom. So you left something, you became a part of something, and in that new something, everyone's family. So in your thinking, say, God saved me. Okay, one, two, three. And God added me. God added you to a body of believers. And for him, it's as important as your salvation. Because it's where you're going to strengthen, grow, and be matured in your faith and help others to do the same. Now, God has... The whole idea of God adding is this active force of God. God actively does something. Makes you a part of something. And in my life, uh, I've been a part of three distinct communities. When I first came to faith, I was um, 16, just about to turn 17, and I left. I had a, a community, and we used to get, around, get together and, and, and build relationships around substances, normally in the shape of a bottle. Various other substances, too, as it turned out, but anyway, this is different education. Anyway... And that was the, the thing that brought us together. And so God knew I needed a new community because I wasn't strong enough to be a part of my old community and keep it tidy. Anyone say amen to that? Amen. amen. Thank you very much. People in the back row is like, hey, that's us. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, and so God added me, and, and, and what happened is I signed up for, to serve in our youth, because that's where I saw some people my own age there, and I said, I want to serve there. And in that process, uh, I became friends with those people, and we served together, and we prayed together, and we uh, ministered to teenagers together, and I started preaching for the very first time in that space, and people were encouraging me, and people were correcting each other, and, and growing together, and we went away together, and we had fun together, and I was a part of a community. And I'm going, oh, I made some new friends. No, God added me somewhere for a purpose. That purpose was to minister and be ministered to, to serve teenagers and to be served by my friends as I helped establish my faith and gave me an identity as a part of something in Jesus. The second group is I left that group and God called me to move to Jerusalem. And I arrived in Jerusalem hardly knowing anyone because I wasn't from there, and most of the people I made friends with weren't from there. They had also come from around the world, and collectively we became each other's friends. And I had a friend there from Durban, and we had done the youth ministry stuff together. Her name was Liesl Hedding, and she used to take me along to the things that she was doing and saying, this is my friend Gary. He's from Durban. We did youth ministry together. And then people were like, oh, well, if you're Liesl's friend, then you can be our friend too. Because that's what it's like, right? Because if a friend vouches for you, you're like, you're starting up. You're like, Whew. 
Everyone needs someone to vouch for you at some time. I've been watching Donnie Brasco <laughs> lately. And God added me to a new community. In this new community, there were a couple of things that were radically important to us. Number one was inclusivity and hospitality. Because all of us knew what it was arrive, like to arrive in a new city not knowing anyone. And so whenever we'd meet anyone, we'd invite them with us. In fact, we had a policy that if someone, wanted, we were all going out for dinner after church and someone said, we can't af- I can't afford to go out for dinner, someone would offer to pay for them, just like that. Don't worry about it, I've got you. Just like that. When someone was, we were meeting at someone's house for food, if someone didn't have anywhere to go that night, I'd say, just come with me. And we just had faith that either I'd bring food along for them or we would pray for the food to be multiplied to feed the extra mouths. True story. We used to pray, Lord, multiply this food because we've got too many people. We would rather, and, and all the guys who were a part of building the community, we'd always eat last because we'd rather our guests eat first. And if we go hungry, that's fine. As long as people were got to be a part of something. And in this community, people really, I, I learned to be vulnerable and share what was going on. So many of us we were, were processing what was going on in our lives. And God knit together us with these incredible relationships where we actually shared at a vulnerable level. I remember a friend of mine from there, he was conceived, he was the product of a one night stand. And he always had this sense of inferiority because he thought, I wasn't planned, I wasn't this. And you know, you might not struggle with that, that, that kind of thinking at all, or I understand that. But for him, this was a real thing that had taken root in his heart. And he, I remember him in tears one night saying, This is how it's conceived. And, and what does that mean about me? And we just said, I know who you are. You are loved, God's chosen you, you're called, you're a godly man. And we spoke identity and our destiny over his life for months. And people would come and go, man, I've got this addiction in my life. I'm addicted to pornography. Man, I'm addicted to thinking this kind of way. I'm addicted to gossip. I'm addicted uh, to, to substances. I drink too much. Whatever it is. And people would come and share and we'd say, this is not who you are in Christ Jesus. God's freedom. We had such faith for God to, to heal people and set them free. And so God added me to a community for my freedom and my growth. And lastly, when we came back to Durban, and I got married, and Teresa and I, we were really praying, God, we need to be added into a mix, and we were part of this church. But you know, sometimes you're a part of church, and you don't necessarily have that close circle of people around you. And God, in that season, works in our lives, and he gave us people, but over time, probably in those last two or three years, God really knit us into this com- group of community. Uh, community. We're, we're, we're a life group. I don't lead it. No one really leads it. We're all just committed to, to meeting every two weeks, praying for each other. And what happened in that space is we carried each other because people in that environment went through really devastating things, and God put us together into a community to walk through that season together. Three communities. And I can look at it and I can go, man, I must have been a part of those things because of my scintillating personality. It's not true. God added me. And he'll add you. There's a space and a place for you to be added. We're going to look at some of what the Bible says about community, but I want to do it through a lens of Paul. Because Paul wrote some of the most extraordinary 
scriptures about communal life and community and what it's meant to be like. And so what we're going to look at is how God added Paul and how that adding shaped his understanding. And so we're going to start journeying and understanding Paul's journey of being knit into community. Acts chapter 9. Now Paul didn't start as Paul. He started as Saul, a persecutor of the church. Meanwhile, Saul, that's the guy who became Paul, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. It's an ominous beginning. Uttering threats with every breath. Eager to kill. Let's just say Paul didn't have the highest regard for Christians or their communities. So Saul went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way as Christians he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down and around him, down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Saul has this extraordinary encounter with Jesus. The resurrected Jesus makes himself real to him. He sees a light, he hears a voice, he's left blind. He can't see after this. And so he has to be led to Damascus. He's taken to Damascus and he stays with his friend named Judas. I mean, that's also ominous. And then he fasts for three days. And I'm not talking like our kind of fasting where I'm fasting social media. No food, no water for three days. And he's praying. Now, there's this other guy in Damascus, a believer called Ananias. That's where we pick up our story. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. I don't think we often get the gravitas, it's a cool word actually, gravitas. You know that some words are just fun to say, you know, gravitas of this. But Paul had a reputation. So think about someone from history who had a reputation, okay? Genghis Khan, Vlad, anyone called Vlad is like, <laughs> if your name is Vlad, we're lovely to have you. <laughs> Vlad the Impaler, Julius Lamela, I'm joking, <laughs> Hendrik Verbut, doesn't matter, like, you're getting the idea, Paul, when people heard the name Saul, they, they had a reputation. And Ananias knew this man's reputation. He knew about the terrible things he had done to the believers in Jerusalem. He knew that with every breath, he was breathing out threats, eager to kill Christians. Now imagine in our context, that person lives in Johannesburg and he's arrested Christians there and we know that he's heading to Durban right now, eager to arrest anyone that attends Olive Tree.
and you're having a quiet time one day. And God says, I want you to go into Glenwood. <laughs> Lower Glenwood and below. <laughs> to a man, to, to, I don't know, pick a road there. I don't know what it's called. Ambilo Road. <laughs> and, and there's a guy there called Vlad the Impaler. And you're going to pray for him so he can see. And you go, but Lord, I've heard about the terrible things he's done to people in Johannesburg. And I know he's got authority to arrest anyone that attends Olive Tree and take them back to Johannesburg. It's <laughs> bad. Imagine that, though. Like, in all honesty, imagine what happens in your gut. <laughs> Just like, are you sure, Jesus? You know, you'll be going, I, I should phone Ross and tell him that the Lord <laughs> has a message for the pastor <laughs> and he needs to go minister to someone. And the Lord's like, no, you, you go. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. And then he finds Saul. And this is what happens. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul. Brother. Do you understand that Ananias knew the terrible things this man had done, possibly to his own family and friends who lived in Jerusalem? People had died at his hands, and maybe Ananias had been directly affected. But in that moment, he realized that the grace of God had washed away this man's sin, and he had been added to the body of believers. And so he speaks to him and he says, My brother, you're a part of my family, you're a part of this family. Can you imagine what God did for Saul in that moment? Because Saul now knew he was going to come face to face to the, 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 the friends and family members, the brethren, who he had killed their family members and friends. Can you imagine what his first church meeting was like? A man who, who some had arrested some of our mix, killed them, taking them in chains, your friends, your family, and suddenly you throw your arms around them and you say, brother. Sometimes the grace of God is ministered into our lives through people. You need people. When I have gone to my friends sometimes, they say, man, this is what I've done, and I've fallen into this sin, and they look at me and they say, that is not who you are. This is who you are in Christ Jesus. I need them to minister God's grace into my life. Maybe that was what inspired Paul to write this in Colossians 2 verse 2. I want them, that's the people of Colossae, to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. Because he had lived it. He had been encouraged by Ananias. He had been knit together into a community because the amazing thing is Ananias takes Saul to his community and he becomes a part of that community. He came there as a persecutor to arrest them and kill them and now he's a brother. 
and he's staying in their homes. He's their guest. They wake up in the morning and serve him breakfast. And eventually, he starts preaching with them, and then the people, the religious Jews of Damascus, want to kill him. And he's like, well, of course, because I was that person wanting to kill these Christians, so now I'm the Christian, and people want to kill me. And these people lower him through a hole in the city wall of Damascus, lower him in a basket, and he escapes with his life. The very man that came to kill them, they're saving his life. Be knit together, be encouraged and knit together. From there, Saul goes to Jerusalem, Acts chapter 9. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. No kidding. The last people that he found out where the believers were living, he arrested them and killed them. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Every single one of us at some point in our journey are going to need a Barnabas to vouch for us and help us integrate into a community. And every single one of us at some point in the journey will be the Barnabas where someone's arrived, they don't know anyone, and you're going to say, come with me to my group of friends, with my group of believers, just like Liesl Heading had done for me, so that that person can integrate into a community. We all need someone to vouch for us at some point. Maybe that's what inspired Paul to write in Colossians 2.19, for he, that's Jesus, holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. And he understood that he came to the believers in Jerusalem. He couldn't integrate. He couldn't make a way. But God sent to Barnabas that ligament, that joint, to bring him and make him a part of that body so he could be nourished by it and he could nourish it. From there, Barnabas, again, he starts preaching with the believers in Jerusalem. People want to kill him, and believers help him escape again. And then Barnabas went on to, uh, and then he runs and he, he goes to Tarsus, which was his hometown. Verse 11, then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there in the church for a full year teaching large crowds of people. There's Barnabas again. He comes and he gets him. He says, come with me to my home church, Antioch, and we're going to minister together. And God, in the course of that year, are building together a ministry team that he would send throughout the Roman Empire. Barnabas and Saul, which later became Paul and Barnabas. Among the prophets and teachers of the church of Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. That's who became Paul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. There's this group of leadership in this church with people who are recognized gifts, teachers, and prophets. And God speaks to them one day when they're in a prayer meeting, they're praying and fasting, and God speaks to them and says, I want you to separate Paul and Barnabas to the work I'm calling them to. And the amazing thing is, how did they know? How did they hear? Did God's voice go, Luke, I'm jogging. <laughs> I am your father. No. God spoke through one of those prophets. And let me tell you, they trusted this prophet enough to act on what he said. Because I've received some prophetic words 
that I don't trust. You see, it's in the body of believers we're taught to test the prophetic word. And the way you do that is you get to know people and you understand that some people are more mature in their gifting than others. And there's confirmation of prophetic words and one or two or three people have the same sense. And it's confirmed in your own spirit and there's a process of hearing God as a community. I once received a prophetic word that I was gonna be leading young people in worship on the piano. Why are you laughing, Steve? <laughs> and I was like, brother, no one will let me sing into a microphone. And I can't play the piano. You see, prophets, or anyone else for that matter, needs people around them to help give to mature because we learn from each other and we hold each other accountable. And God had done that in this midst to such an extent that when one of them had a prophetic word, the rest of them tested it, said, this is God. They gave Paul and Barnabas blessings, money, finances, prayer, more prayer and fasting, and they sent them on their way. Imagine sending out two of your biggest gifts from the local church. Maybe that's why Paul wrote this. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. He knew he needed a Simeon. He needed a Emmanuel. He needed a Barnabas. And down the road, he needed a Timothy and he needed a Luke and he needed all these people and God had knit them together in the body and God, Jesus was the head of his church holding it all together so that we could all come to maturity. You know what the amazing thing is in all of these scriptures, the emphasis is on God's ability to take people, plant them in a body, grow them in a body, prepare them in a body, and use them in that body. In other words, God has a plan and a destiny for you. God has added you to believers. Who are you to say, oh, I'm just making up my mind, I'm opting in and out? I understand fully going through a process of saying, God, which church do you want me to join? But when God says, this is the church for you, then you're saying, God, you add me here, you plant me here, I'm in here, I'm growing here, I'm building this place because you have told me to be added here. It's a covenantal relationship, not a convenient one. Because God has involved in planting you. In other words, you need us and we need you. And within this mix, there will be a smaller group of believers God helps you to get connected to. And all I'm saying is at some point, you've got to go, God, I want you to add me. And that's where I'm going to grow. And let me tell you, for every single one of us, there'll come a time in our walk where it becomes inconvenient, it becomes difficult, it becomes tough, we're stretched. You know, before Ross Roger took over Olive Tree Church, at one stage, Olive Tree had been 400 people and had whittled all the way down to about 80. And I was in Jerusalem at that time and I remember speaking to so many of my friends saying, hey, how are you doing? They said, you know what? I wanted to leave, but God spoke to me and said, I want you to stay. I want you to stay in this church. I want you to stay. So when Ross came in, he had 80 people who were absolutely convinced that the only reason they was there because God wanted them there to build a church. 
and they all said, take me, sign up, I'm gonna lead something. God added, God, your will. God, you understand the picture. God, right now this is difficult, this is tough. My friends are leaving, but God, you're calling me here to stay and build and plant and grow. I want to end where we began. Remember in verse 47, it says right there, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number, another word for saying that, added to their fellowship day by day those who were being saved. Look at the first verse, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So which is it? Do we devote ourselves to fellowship or does God add us to fellowship? Both. No, but which one is it? Like 59, 49, 49, 51, 60, 40? No, both, 100, 100. That's what covenantal relationship is. You see, when I, when I described the three times I was a part of community, when I was a young believer, building youth with those people, when I was in Jerusalem, praying with each other, when I was came back here and God planted me in a life group. For so many of you, you're going, man, I'd love something like that. I want something like that. Let me tell you, I could describe other parts of those communities where it was hard, where I had difficult relationships, where I had to work through stuff. I can describe times when I said, God, it feels like I'm spending all my time devoting myself to the building of church and I don't have fellowship myself. God, it feels like I'm pouring out and where's my group of people? God, and that experience is fairly normal in this journey. And what happens is at some point, you've got to say, God, I'm going to devote myself because they devoted themselves and trust you to add. I'm going to do what I can do. And I'm going to trust you to do what you can do. And God, I pray for the grace to keep serving, to keep giving, to keep building, to keep devoting myself to the benefit of this body of believers and I'm gonna believe that you're gonna plant me somewhere. Does that make sense? They devoted themselves. Where are you devoting yourself? To the work, to the body that God's planted you in, where you're saying, hey God, this is my church you put me in. You've added me to this mix. God, where do I devote myself? Only you can answer that for you in this stage of your life. It's not, it's not a guilt thing. It's just a question that you get to take to the Father and say, God, do you have a special niche for me to, to give myself to in this space? Do you have a team you want me to serve on? Do you have a life group you want me to go to? And if you're really wondering, like, how do I take that step? You're in luck, because on the 27th of January, <laughs> we've got to join a life group night. So if you're like, I didn't know, I didn't know how to devote myself, then you can join a life group. In fact, the 20th, which is tomorrow night, we've got Get Connected. You can sign up, you can come along here to Get Connected, so you can figure out how to Get Connected. So we call it Get Connected. We're quite cunning like that. And a week later, we've got join a life group evening where you can come and here will be some group of leaders who are praying right now, God, I pray that you show me who you've got for my life group. And you've got other people saying, God, I pray that you show me where to get knitting. 
And you can come along and say, man, this is, I'm going to take this step and trust God to start working. Can I get an amen? amen? Am I going to see you here on the 27th? Raise your hand. There we go. Woo! You guys are so much better because in the, in the 8 o'clock, everyone was like, amen. If you're going to come on the 27th, put your hand up. Everyone was like, hey, sorry, what? <laughs> I don't know. You're like, right now, I must commit. <laughs> you guys are doing better. Guys, I get that the journey of, of moving towards community it's a journey that sometimes we don't feel like we have the energy for. We know, feel like it's going to be awkward. Like, I get all that stuff. But what we do is as we avail ourselves, we trust God to work. And God does amazing stuff. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of community. I thank you that you are knitting us together with strong bonds of love. I thank you, God, for people all around us people who will pray for us and love us and fight for us, God, the people that we can minister to and serve with, laugh with, talk about truth of your word with. And God, I pray for every, any person here, God, that is making a decision to step towards community, Father God. I pray, God, that wherever they've been disappointed before, wherever they've been let down before, you bring healing to those parts of their heart and they just say, God, I'm gonna trust you to add me. And I thank you, God, for the phenomenal gift of community, God. We need each other. In Jesus' name, amen.